0: This is Jewish Board Talk with Cherie Zephyr only on 101.9 High FM.
1: In an interesting article by Libby Sander and Oliver Bauman on why Zoom meetings are so exhausting, they note some of the following. Having a giant head staring at us up close for long periods of time can be off Also, do we fix our hair, put on makeup, or get out of our pajamas? And they also remind us of the lack of ability to control our workspace. In their words, none of us want to be like Trini Whittle, fashion guru and television presenter, who was doing a live stream when her partner walked naked across the room. To help navigate us through our reality of online everything, I'm delighted to have tech guru Arthur Goldsack advise us how we negotiate our new world. Arthur heads the World Wide Works Research Organization, is a journalist and an author of a number of books on the internet. He also has a weekly gadgets column, Gold on Gadgets, which is the most widely syndicated technology column in South Africa. Arthur, welcome and thank you so much for joining me.
0: Thank you, Cherise.
1: In fact, I was reading one of your Gold Stuck on Gadgets articles that appeared in the Citizen a little while back in which you talk about the different kinds of platforms that are available to us. I think we're all getting to know Zoom and Microsoft and Skype's been around. How do we know, Arthur, which is the best platform for what purpose?
0: It's fairly simple, but it's also very complex, unfortunately. So if you want to reach the maximum amount of people and you want to make sure that whoever uh, wants to join your conversation is able to, then the default is Zoom because it is so easy to use. It's so easy to invite people to it. And also right now, it's it's the one that's getting the most publicity. So everyone's heard about it and there isn't that feeling of having to connect to some alien environment. The one that's probably the most Commonly available without having to install anything, though, is Google Hangouts or Google Meets or Google Classroom, which is a version you're using. If uh, you're in school, there's a very good chance that your school is using a Google Classroom, which is a, a version of a Google Meet. And outside of the school environment, if you're in a, in a university, then you're probably using Microsoft Teams. A lot of schools are using Teams as well. But that also requires you to install the software and create a Microsoft account. Generally speaking, so the default seems to be Zoom because it's so simple. There aren't all the different options. You don't have to figure out which account you have to use or which version you have to uh, use. You just you just accept the invitation and you join it. But of course, with that comes a lot of possible complications and a lot of issues, as we've seen with Zoom bombing happening across the board, whether it's the South African Parliament having a meeting or whether it's a shiur somewhere in the United States, Zoom bombing has become a part of that environment, which is not necessarily a reason not to use Zoom, but it's certainly a reason to understand how to keep it secure and safe for all users. So it's really a case of who is your audience, how many people do you want to reach, and what is the environment. If you in an organization, the organization will probably have a policy of which one to use and which ones can't be used. A lot of organizations ban Zoom because of security issues, not the Zoom bombing security issues, but the fact that there are certain holes with regard to security in Zoom which concern large organizations. And those particular issues are not really a concern for the average user, because no one's trying to break into your uh, computer from from a distance in order to steal industrial secrets. So that's the the big concern of the big organizations.
1: So so Kitty's grooming granny is not actually a concern, a security concern?
0: No, unless that person is assumed to be harboring valuable material on their computer, no one's going to try to hack them specifically, but they will try to break into their conversations. And that's a different matter. That's a different issue from security of the computer. Security of the conversation is something that you can actually lock down up front, but uh, most people don't bother with security settings.
1: Arthur, so should they bother?
0: Of course they should, because we've seen what happens when security falls down. We saw a meeting of one of the parliamentary portfolio committees having to be called off because they posted the details of the meeting on Twitter, including the, the, the password to get into the meeting, which is bizarre because Twitter is exactly the kind of environment where people are trawling the ecosystem to see what damage they can cause or what trouble they can make. So it's, a, it's an open invitation to all the um, th- those with ill-intention To come visit and see how they can push the envelope of ill intent.
1: How do you secure those sites? Is it easy to do it?
0: It's very easy. If you are calling the meeting, then you also have the ability to control the parameters of that meeting. And Zoom has a fantastic function called the waiting room, which you don't get with the uh, with with for example uh, Google. Um, meet because there you need an extra plugin that the users have to have. Um, Microsoft Teams has a waiting room function as well, but uh, that's far more complex. So with with Zoom, you set up in advance that people have to go into a waiting room and have to be admitted into the meeting. So there already you have not just a barrier, but you also have credentials that they have to present, whether it's the email address or their name, so that you know who's joining. If it's a mass meeting, then the waiting room becomes unwieldy. But even there, you have you've got security settings like so you can dictate that um, only the presenters and the co-hosts are seen on screen, which means no one can, for example, uh, get undressed uh, in front of an audience of thousands. The other option, if you know all the people who are on, but you are nervous about what they might do while they're on, then you can also prevent any screen sharing from anyone. It's a very simple setting. It's a click of a button, and only the presenter or co-host can share their screens. So whether it's PowerPoint or whether it's video or images, only those who are given the permission can actually share their material on screen. So all of those are options. The chat room as well, which is also an area Mm -hmm. where a lot of abuse happens, when it's not controlled, can also be managed. You can also um, prevent a chat room from happening or you can have a, a, an environment where the comments in the chat room only go to the panellists or the uh, hosts of the meeting that they're not seen publicly. So um, there are many ways to control it. And in most cases, you can also eject a person the moment you see that they are engaging in unruly activity. So one of the recommendations we make is when you have a large meeting is that you should also have someone who's in charge of the back end, a co-host who just watches what's happening and can instantly um, ban or mute or eject people who are being unruly.
1: Arthur, just to turn our attention now to kind of rules and behavior for Zoom, uh, one of the things I read in that article uh, in The Citizen that you wrote was – For example, on Zoom, you tend to look at the people you're talking to, but actually you should be looking at your camera, which sounds like such an obvious thing, but I'm sure I hadn't thought of and I know for a fact that I hadn't thought of that before because you're so used to engaging with the real person. Um, What are the kinds of tools that you can suggest that will help us ensure a Zoom meeting go efficiently?
0: It's a a good point you make that these things are often very obvious, but one doesn't think about them. And you can see it when people are being interviewed on TV via Skype. You can see that they're looking at the screen as opposed to looking at the camera. And that instantly means that they are uh, perceived to be looking away or not engaged with the interviewer or not interested in the interview. All they have to do, and this you'll see with the professional um, media uh, presenters is look at the camera and not at the screen, and then immediately you focused and engaged with your audience. So we actually have created a, a LinkedIn group called Facing the Webcam because there are so many tips and tricks. Um, and Facing the Webcam, we've created some sample videos of how things go wrong, but also we've posted documents of um, how you can ensure that you don't fall for these. Uh, traps, But there's five key pieces of advice that we give. Uh, the one is uh, to look at the camera and not the image on the screen. It's fine if you're in a meeting with a bunch of people and you're busy listening. At that point, you can watch the people on screen, be aware of who's speaking, et cetera. But the moment you have to speak, you should look at the camera so that the audience feels they, that you're looking at them. Even if it's in a meeting, you should look at the camera so the person you're meeting with or the people you're meeting with feel that you are focused on them and that you're not distracted. Uh, the second one is to um, s- situate your laptop or your camera in line with your face. And this is something also that you see in these Skype interviews, people looking down at the camera. Even professional media people are used to being in a studio with a big camera pointed at them. The moment they're in front of a computer, they seem to forget how that works. So... Yeah. The idea is you can put your laptop, if it's a laptop you're using, on a pile of books, for example, to ensure that the camera is in line with your eyes. So then you look like you're looking directly and you're engaging directly as opposed to looking down at people. That down look can be very disconcerting. For some people, especially those uh, wearing uh, glasses, it can look as if they literally are looking down their noses at people. But the worst of it is when you're getting a a real um, medical specialist view of their nostrils. So it feels like you're having a nostril examination. That you really got to avoid. And then the other one is uh, lighting. Uh, When it comes to lighting, you see so many people with a window behind them which means they've got bright light coming in behind their heads and their faces are therefore in shadow. They become almost a silhouette. And I was actually watching uh, one of my daughter's classes yesterday where the teacher was um, speaking to them on a particular subject. I won't um, name names or subjects, but she was sitting in front of a window and her face was in shadow, although her environment was bright. And uh, that really is not only disconcerting, but it also means that you don't have a a good um, interaction with your classroom, with your students, because they can't really see you uh, properly. And it's very easy to to sort that out. Just set up your speaking environment where the light is pointed uh, towards you rather than from behind you. Um, If you can... Uh, Try to have even lighting with no bright light sources behind you or next to you. That's just the simple rule. Let the light come from in front of you so it's shining on your face, not from behind you or next to you. Because if it's next to you, you can also find that half your face is in shadow.
1: Um, So these are the things you can control, and it's very useful to to know these things. But when you're working from home (laughs) – and you're on a Zoom call There's so much that you can't And I have a friend who kind of updates me weekly On all the things that she's inadvertently Said to her smaller children While her oldest one was on a Zoom video call We've got dogs running in We've got children running in We've got all kinds of things happening behind us what are, What is your advice For something like that?
0: There's one very, very, very simple rule And that is Find out where the mute button is It's so simple, just the mute button. The irony is I was in a meeting yesterday with a a bunch of professionals in a particular sector who do this as part of their living, and um, it it was a conversation between five people, so everyone uh, was unmuted, but there was one person whose dog was barking incessantly in the background, and at one point you heard the husband shouted at the dog, if that's happening, mute for goodness sake, You, you know where the mute button is. Um, Everyone doesn't have to be subjected to that And you often have people complaining There's so much noise in the background I can't hear what's going on That means that people have all got background noise Because they're unmuted So the rules should be Only those who are speaking should be unmuted If it's a give and take conversation Where everyone is chipping in all the time Then those who do have background noises Their kids start shouting For example, instantly mute Know where the mute button is And instantly hit that button if you have to, that will prevent so much embarrassment, but also so much irritation for other participants in uh, the meeting. The, the other rule, and it's a very simple rule, but a lot of people don't seem to have discipline in their home environments, is that um, meetings are sacrosanct, especially work meetings, but also school classroom meetings. If the child is in class, everyone else must respect that. If the parent is in a meeting, everyone must respect that. That level of respect you find is often missing in homes where discipline has never been an issue and suddenly that is coming home to roost in Zoom and Teams and Google Classroom.
1: My last question to you, Arthur, is what is the etiquette? If you see something like you're talking to somebody and the lights bad behind them and their glasses, it's, you know, reflecting and they look a bit Ghoulish or somebody's, you know, somebody has something in the background that they really genuinely are not aware of. Is it polite just to avert your eyes or do you actually say politely, uh, so and so, maybe that light isn't good. I mean, it's quite awkward actually.
0: You only do that if you're facilitating them presenting to others, then you assist them in how they set up their environment. But Otherwise, it's incredibly rude to comment on other people's uh, setup up uh, because you yourself probably don't have a perfect setup. I don't have a yeah. perfect set So if it's a general conversation, I'm the last thing I'm going to do is tell the person, listen, rather have your light coming from the other side because they're going to say, hey, but why don't you have a green screen behind you, I do, or whatever, uh, or why don't you use virtual background because I don't like seeing your certificates on the wall behind you or I don't like seeing your bookcase. So that becomes often um an area where you've just got to grin and bear it. If there is something inappropriate happening in the background, you should mention it to them. You can just say, uh, I think there's something in the background you should uh, be aware of. You can do that, but uh you can't comment on people's uh, messy rooms. Again, unless it's a professional environment where they are going to present to others, then you should advise them. Incidentally, that's another issue people should be aware of, because what is in their background, the ideal is to have as plain as possible a background. If you don't have a choice, if you do have a room in the background behind you, make sure it's tidy. Don't have an unmade bed behind you. I saw that in a meeting uh, a week or two ago, and that's not just a bad look. It creates a very unprofessional image of the person. But if you're meeting with someone in that uh, situation, you might make a joke about it. But uh, it's not really your place to tell people how to set themselves up. What I do recommend, and this is obviously a little self-serving, is after the meeting, uh, send them a link to the Facing the Webcam group. Say, I came across this fascinating resource that you might find useful without casting shade on them in any way whatsoever. You're just being helpful, sending them a link to a resource.
1: I think we're going to have to get that link uh, distributed far and wide. And if you are ever considering <laughs> writing a book about awkward moments on Zoom, I would be happy to contribute. I have a, a whole host of them that I, I myself have, you know, witnessed and both embarrassed myself with. So I'll be, I as I very happy to contribute stories. But I think I keeping think it a sense a of humour. I think anybody would like to get hold of you.
0: They can. Visit me on my speaker site, which is com or my online magazine gadget, gadget.co.za, or join me on LinkedIn. I accept most requests if they don't look dodgy and if you have a, a profile photo, but also you can join my LinkedIn group, Facing the Webcam. Just do a search on Facing the Webcam, and it should come up on LinkedIn.
1: Thank you very much. That was Arthur Goldsack sharing some best practices for our new online live. Um, I'd like to thank you all for joining me. If there's anything you'd like to comment on, you are welcome to drop me an email at Sheree at And as always, a really big thanks to Vusi, a singer who produces the show and helps sort out all the technical difficulties that might arise. If um, yeah, just until next week, I wish you all Shabbat Shalom.